last, uh, last week there was a Thanksgiving service out in Washington State in, uh, in my, my daughter's father-in-law is a pastor in Washington State. And they had a Thanksgiving service and they had a period of testimonies like we just did. Only they told the people ahead of time so they could prepare. And uh, one of the couples, an elderly couple, we were watching it because we heard that our grandson, Aiden Redemption, had given a little testimony and we wanted to see that. But when they, when they broadcast the service, there was an elderly couple. The pastor's named Richard and his son is named Luke and Luke is the youth uh, minister. Anyway, the elderly couple said, we just thank the Lord that we met the Lord as our savior. We were so lost without him. We're so grateful that Luke came to our house and knocked on the door. Thought, wow, what a, what a wonderful thing to think that you could be used to the Lord to introduce somebody to the Lord. And then we got to hear little Aiden Redemption's testimony too. And he thanked God for the world that God created. And I'm grateful for the world that God created. I want to bring a message to you today from Psalm 65, which I, I call the John Sloan painting of Scripture. I wish I could show you an adequate copy of a John Sloan painting that I love. I love mountainscapes and I love seascapes. I love to go to the forest, the, to, to the Great Lakes, but I think most of all, I love countryside. I just love rolling countryside. I love farmland. On the way to Kalamazoo to spend time with my parents yesterday, I drove through harvested farmland. It's like where the beans were shaved and where the corn was, it's stubble and the trees around the edges of the fields are brown and rust and it's, the sky's blue. And on the way home, it was all covered in white. All of it just tugs my heart to God. I love the matter of fact that where, where we live right now is a special, you'll, you'll probably get tired of me talking about that, but it's special to me. We used to drive out this way to visit my parents and I would drive through the countryside southwest of town and think, this is the most beautiful countryside. I love driving through this countryside. My parents are so blessed to, to live out here. And then the Lord would put us here. It's just a special blessing. I just love the countryside. When Lois and I were raising our kids in Ohio, thank you for your testimony that you didn't offer to give. Lois and I have a deal once a decade. Um, <laughs> years ago, I have a friend, you knew Levi Wisner, um, his wife, Phyllis, was a quiet woman of deep faith and, and sincere love for the Lord and her family. And he was in our church once, and he said, I'm going to ask Phyllis to testify. And Phyllis was quiet, and he just said, I'm going to ask you to testify. And so just like she gave a word of testimony, and it was the sweetest thing. And, and I thought, that's a good idea. I'm going to do that because Lois won't volunteer. But I know her heart. I know her gratefulness of her heart. And and to hear it is always a blessing to me. And so every once in a while, at a great while, it's been probably 10 years, I ask Lois to testify. <laughs> so, you know, I'm always grateful to hear that. Sometimes she says things when she testifies that she wouldn't otherwise tell you. So that's a little secret of mine. And I thank you, Lois, for your testimony and for your faithfulness. And even if you have poor choices in teams, you're a good egg. And, all right. 
I was, we lived on the end of a dirt, a dead, end of a dead end road in Ohio. The Lord had given us a place to live that was a farmhouse on the end of a dead end road. And, and it was really a, a humble place, but it was a beautiful place. And I used to love to take a walk. And when I went out for a walk one day in the fall of the year, it was just right after the leaves had blown off the trees for the first time. I'd never seen that area in the fall of the year. And there was an old road grade that we would follow that went back to the, where there was a where there was a bridge that washed out, and so the road wasn't in use, so it was a perfect walking path. You could walk back for two miles along the, around the outside of this hill, along this grade. But now the leaves had blown down, so you could see things you had never been able to see before. And on this beautiful autumn day, I was walking alone back that grade early in the morning, having a time with the Lord, having a little New Testament in my pocket, and and I was walking along and I looked out over the valley that I'd never actually seen before because it was shrouded by the leaves. And now the leaves were gone. And when I saw the valley, it just, it, it literally caught my breath away because it was just so beautiful. And I looked down into that valley and the, they had harvested the corn and the river ran through the valley and it was just golden in the sun. And, the, and it was just so beautiful that it almost made me weep. And I took my New Testament out of my pocket and read the Psalms that correspond with today, which had been my custom often. And that's when I discovered Psalm 65. It was as if the description in the end of Psalm 65 was just before my eyes. And then later when I discovered this favorite painter of mine, John Sloan, I discovered that he also must have had this in his heart because he often paints scenes just like that. Like a, there's this picture I'm going to describe to you, a favorite of mine. It's, it's an autumn scene, and, and there's an older man in the picture, and there's a stone wall, and he's standing by the stone wall, and he's looking down over this beautiful valley, and it's in the rust and gold of the year in autumn, and there are corn shocks in the field, and beside him is a little boy. And they're just looking out over this beautiful field, and when I see that painting, I think of Psalm 65, Allow me just to read again from verse 8. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and you water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly. You settle its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout. They shout and sing together for joy. This is a, it's, a, it's, a, it's one of the Bible's most beautiful descriptions of my favorite places in the world. The, 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 the fruitful countryside, the bounty of the earth, the, the beauty of the earth. And why, why is this here? Now, this is the sermon today. Why is this here? Last Sunday, when we finished on our work on First Peter, and we're anticipating next week going into Christmas preaching, I knew that I was going to teach a psalm, and I went back to my study, and I thought about this psalm, and I thought to myself, why is this beautiful description of the beauty and the bounty of the earth, why is it here? That's the question. What's the point of this? And what's interesting is that I have so often returned to this just to read about the beauty of the earth and the bounty of the earth 
and the goodness of God and the grace of God that I hadn't really carefully thought about why is it there? Why are verses, what, is, what does it say in the first part of this that leads logically into the second part of this? To answer that question is what I wanted to share with you today because I thought it would be really encouraging for you. On Thanksgiving weekend, the beauty and the bounty of the earth are evidence of the power and the goodness of God. And you see that in verses 6 through 13. The beauty and the bounty of the earth are evidence of the power of God. This isn't the main point, but it's a thing. The beauty and the bounty of the earth are evidence of the grace and the goodness and the power of God. And you can see this when you begin to read, actually, in verse 5, by awesome deeds you answer with righteousness of God of our salvation. I'm sorry, verse 6. The one who by his strength established the mountains being girded with might. So it's a, it's a, there's a description of the power of God in establishing mountains. He's girded with strength. He established mountains. So the psalmist, David, is saying, God is powerful. He makes mountains. And then the, he, he talks about the seas. Often when you think about looking on things that talk about the power of God, you think of mountains and you think of seas, don't you? It, it helps for a person to look on a mountainscape. It helps us to look at the sea. This is why here in our region of the earth, we look on the Great Lakes. We want to see something really big and awesome. And this is what David points out here in verse 6, who by strength established the mountains. He's so strong. Gird with might. In verse 7, he stills the roaring of the seas and the roaring of the waves. And he also says the tumult of the people. So he's powerful enough that he makes mountains. He's so powerful that he can still seize, and he can still the tumults of peoples too. This is very upsetting. So David says about the power of God. Then in, in, in verse 7, he stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, the tumult of the peoples. And so he, he's... Um, uh, Verse, uh, verse 8, so those who dwell in the ends of the earth are awe of your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening shout for joy. If you're married to a photographer, this is one of the things you know. There's something special about the hour after dawn and the hour before sunset, the golden hours. There's something beautiful about that, especially beautiful about the angle of the light. Go out in the early morning when the sun rises to stay out. And you make the, the, the outgoing of the day and the incoming of the day rejoice. One translation says here, it says, you make the going of the morning and the evening shout for joy. That's a poetic way of describing, God, you make the world. You're so powerful that you make mountains. You're so powerful that you still seize. You're so powerful that you make every morning and every night Shout for joy because it's so beautiful. Every sunrise and, and every sunset. And then in verse 8, you go into this passage that is so familiar to me that, it's, that I could just see it like it's painted before me. The countryside, the beautiful bounty and beauty of the countryside that God makes. And I love to watch a harvest. I sometimes will take an autumn afternoon and just drive through the countryside when they're harvesting. And you just see the bounty of the earth. The amazing bounty of the earth is the evidence of the power of God and it's evidence of the goodness of God. Certainly, I have made my points. 
And these are some of the things that you see. And, and then in this text here about from, from verse uh, 9, or actually the second part of verse 8 to the end, which is the part that hung in my memory from this experience, <clears throat> he's saying, you, you visit the earth and you water it, you enrich it. What would the earth be like if he didn't water it? My wife was out of town. She told me to water the plants. I forgot. Very busy, important person, you know. She's called and she said, I'm coming home. I'm like, oh, I need to say I watered the plants. So I went out of the back porch and there was <laughs> really pitiful flower hanging there, dead, just dead. I thought, there's no way that's coming back. But I'll water it. That way she'll say, did you water? I'll say, yeah, I watered it. So, truth, I mean, you know, if nothing, I'm honest about this. So I watered the plant. The next morning, it was like a miracle occurred. The, 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 it was amazing. It was like huge. It flowered, literally flowered back out. I told her the story. I said, you're not going to believe this, but that was like dead. Until I remembered I was supposed to water it. Then I watered it so I could say I watered it. And she goes, yeah, that's what happens when, when you water things. I planted some mints in a little spot, in a little swale out on Bittersweet Farm. I thought, well, you know, this will be beautiful to have mint growing in that little valley there. Nothing was there. I, I went to the store. I bought mint plants, and I put them. I, have a, I don't have a green thumb, obviously. You have to water things, and I don't water things. I put the mint out there. And then I kind of watched them a little bit. And the next, in the spring, I thought, look at that. I saw the little sprigs there, brown sprigs there where they had died. And a little bit later on, I went out there and I realized they had, they, they had rhizomes. They'd come up again. I was really exultant about that. Lois got home from work. I said, my mint lived. You want to see it? She's like, anybody can grow mint. Mint grows itself. <laughs> I'm like, Okay. She don't have the gift of encouragement, let's just say that. And mint grows itself, she said. And she does, she goes around the house at nighttime, and she comes home from work, and she waters everything, and it flourishes. Water's amazing. What if God didn't water the earth? Aren't you glad God waters the earth? Don't you love the verdant earth? Don't you love the evidence that we have before us of the beauty of God, the bounty of God, the power of God, the goodness of God? It's displayed before us every time we see growing things because he waters the earth. And when it snows, the, 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 the farmers say that's the very best nitrogen soil can ever get when it snows. God has a way of putting nitrogen in the soil that you would have to pay a lot of money for. And the farmers, they love that when it snows on the earth, especially when the earth is thawed and it can leach down into it. So, so obviously, what I'm saying is this. We have, in verses 5 through the end, a statement of God's power. The beauty and the bounty of the earth show the power of God, but that's not the point of the psalm. That's a thing, but it's not the thing. That's the truth. But it's not the truth. Why is this here? Why did God put this beautiful description of the beauty and the bounty of the earth, the power of God, and all of those beautiful descriptions? Why did he put it there? Why did he inspire David to write that? Well, obviously, we see it when we read the first part. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. To you shall vows be performed. 
Oh, you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. He shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and the farthest seas. Why, why did David write the second part of that psalm? And I'm approaching it backward, obviously. It's because what David was saying was God, in the beauty and the bounty of the earth, we see the power of God. And the God who pours bounty on the earth can fully satisfy every human heart on earth. The God who makes beautiful valleys, who puts in place mountains, who puts in place oceans, can still the ocean, who makes the sunrise beautiful and the sunset beautiful, can satisfy every need of every human heart throughout all the earth. That's why David gave this description, so that we would know that that God can satisfy our hearts. That's pretty cool, huh? When I saw that last Sunday morning, after, uh, Sunday afternoon, I'm like, I can't wait to tell them that. God can satisfy every, every legitimate desire that God ever stirred in any human heart can be satisfied by this one who girds himself and makes the mountains and, and who stills the sea and who sends the sunrise and the sunset and the bounty of the earth and the beauty of the earth and the glory of the earth. This God who pours out bounty on the earth can satisfy every human heart on earth. Notice the phrases here. O God of our salvation, hope of all the ends of the earth and the farthest seas. Verse 8. Those that dwell in the ends of the earth. Verse 2. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. What am I pointing out here? I'm pointing out the phrases here, the key phrases that are saying something really politically incorrect and shocking. Our God that we serve is not an American God. It's not, uh, he is not a localized God. He's not a localized deity. God, the claim is the God of all the ends of the earth, every people, everywhere, throughout all time, he can satisfy the deepest desires of their hearts. This God, who can do all that other stuff, can satisfy your heart. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, I wonder if he knows how unworthy I am. I wonder if he knows how bad I am. What if he knew the bad stuff? N notice this. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be pre performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. Listen. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Do you see it? So here, here's the idea. The last chunk of this psalm is saying, the one who made the beauty and the bounty of the earth is very, very good and powerful. The first chunk is, he's so powerful, he can satisfy every human heart, every, the need of every human heart on earth. And this other piece is, even those who have sinned grievously against him, whose sin transgressions have prevailed against him. You ever feel like you lost in the battle against sin? Yeah, you felt that way, right? You didn't church, so you're acting really like righteous and holy and you know, kind of buttoned down, but we have all lost the battle against sin. 
in, in, in verse 3, when iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Anybody see the cross in that? You should. The one who made the soaring mountains, the one who stills the roaring seas, he can bring life back to us. Even when we have failed and been defeated by sin, he can make every human heart flourish. He can satisfy the desires of every human heart. That's why Paul, when he was speaking to pagans in Acts, he said he didn't leave us himself without a witness. He did good by giving you rain from heaven, fruitful seasons, and satisfied your heart with food and gladness. Can I ask you, how did you eat this week? Did you eat well? Did you eat embarrassingly well? Yeah. Did your table groan with the bounty that God had provided for you? Is your biggest problem not having enough to eat, but maybe eating too much? I'm just saying. Isn't it interesting? In my life, I worry more about eating too much than I worry about not eating enough. My car started this morning right on the first push of the button. My house is warm. I have people who love me. I have food, more than I have food that I need. I have, my bills are paid. And my sins are forgiven. And my heart is satisfied. So there's this guy, he's a farmer in Kentucky. His name is Wendell Berry. An interesting guy, he, he's been doing something for years, many, many years. On Sunday, he worships God. He happens to be a Baptist from Kentucky. I think everybody in Kentucky is Baptist. <laughs> Church of Christ and Baptist. Wendell Berry is a Baptist farmer, poet, writer from Kentucky. He goes out on every Lord's Day. He calls it the Sabbath, and he takes a walk. And then he comes back in after his Sabbath walk, and frequently he writes a poem. He's collected these poems together in a book, obviously, called Sabbath Poems. He takes a walk on Sunday after church. He comes home and has dinner. Then he sits down and he writes a poem. And those have been gathered into a beautiful volume called Sabbath Poems. Something about that just stirs my heart. And I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy that takes a walk on Sunday afternoon. And he's quiet before the Lord and says, God, you that, you're the God who made all the beautiful things I've ever seen. The bounty of the earth, the beauty of the earth, you're gracious, you're good, you're kind, you're powerful. You have satisfied my heart. Even though I have sinned against you, thanks be unto God. And I commend to you a practice, maybe like Wendell Berry's, I decided a couple of years ago that, that I, would write, I would write out prayers to God on the Lord's Day. And maybe you could, at least in your heart this afternoon, maybe you want to stay inside and look out over the snowy fields and make yourself a cup of tea. But wouldn't it be wonderful for you to say, God, you're so powerful and you're so good. You made the bounty of the earth. You made the beauty of the earth. You're powerful enough to speak mountains into existence. You're powerful enough to still the sea 
you are creative enough to make beautiful sunrises and beautiful sunsets, and you have satisfied my heart, even though I have sinned against you. John Lemon is going to come and pronounce a benediction over us today. There'll be here people that will be waiting to pray with you. If you'd like to have somebody to pray with you, let's stand together while John Lemon comes and pronounces a benediction.